Hey, I am the Rocketeer Lady, MK Smith, and welcome to the Delta V podcast. This podcast is devoted to highlighting and amplifying women and other minority voices in the STEM industry, not only highlighting their professional path and their STEM career, but also pulling back the curtain to showcase the amazing diverse people that make up this industry. We are here to smash the traditional and hopefully provide some tips and laughs along the way. From pageant crowns to astronaut helmets, Paramita Mitra truly breaks the mold for what most define as the stereotypical engineer, which is why she was the obvious perfect choice for the, our first guest of this series. Paramita was born in Bangladesh and immigrated with her family to the United States at five years old. From a young age, STEM has been a driving passion that set her on a space trajectory. She holds a bachelor's and master's degree in aerospace engineering from Mississippi State University and currently works at NASA Johnson Space Center as the principal investigator for the next-gen spacesuit head-up display. That was a mouthful. Karamita and I started freshman year of aerospace engineering together at Mississippi State and have been through it. Paramita, thank you so much for coming on and discussing the good, the bad, the ugly of your STEM journey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kate. It's so good to be here today. So a lot of you might know her as Mary Kate, but as besties, I call her Kate. So <laughs> so good to be here. And I'm so excited that you're starting this YouTube journey. And I'm so honored to be your first guest. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I tried to give kind of an overview, but obviously there's a lot more to Paramita than what my little brief intro was. Can you give us like a brief summary of the project that you're currently working on at NASA and leading? Yeah. So um, just to give you bird's eye view, I'm at NASA Johnson in Houston, Texas. So that is NASA's primary human spaceflight center. And so mission control is there and we also built the spacesuit there. So I'm on the Exploration EMU or the XEMU team, and that's NASA's next-gen suit. And on that team, there's a component called the displays and controls. That is essentially a dynamic display that the crew's going to start using for future EVAs or spacewalks, otherwise known as spacewalks. And so my job is as the lead engineer for that display and control that will go in the helmet. And so I lead a project specifically to develop a near-eye augmented reality display. There's a team of about 28 of us working on on that. And so it's absolutely my dream job. It's what I did my research in in graduate school. And as a principal investigator, I kind of act as the project manager, as well as guiding a lot of the science goals and the kind of the trajectory that we're going to take and the development path. So there's a lot of optics involved, a lot of electrical engineering involved, everything from biomed and understanding the biomechanics of the head and the suit to the software and, and, and the optics involved. So that's, it kind of runs the gamut of a lot of different disciplines, but it's a super exciting project. Um, and uh, absolutely, yeah love what I do at work. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. It's so it's, it's so involved. And I, I've always been so inspired by your journey that you've been on. And because I know, but I know our audience doesn't. How did you get involved with this project? Obviously, we have we probably have people listening that are pursuing aerospace or want to find pro cool projects that you're working on. You said that you've been doing what you're working on now since college. How did how did you end up finding this project? Okay, so Hey, you know, like in aerospace engineering, it's a very difficult path. Like we're definitely not taking a major, we're not pursuing a major as an aerospace engineer that is, uh, I guess, easy. In a, in a sense of the word, at Mississippi State, the aerospace engineering program is one of the, the degree programs that have the highest amount of hours. And so I think it was like us in uh, architecture, we had like 
a lot of just dedicated hours in the first place. And then the classes are also, you know, it's literally rocket science. So I think going <laughs> down the path of aerospace engineering at Mississippi State, undergrad was you're really just trying to get your baseline and you're trying to get your baseline skills. So, uh, you know, you're taking your traditional skills classes, instructors, and mechanics. You're taking all of your physics, all of your calculuses up to beyond all the calculuses, you take differential equations. So you have a really solid math background, a really solid structural mechanics and um, structures background, I think, in the aerospace program. And you're really just getting your baseline. I think one of my favorite classes, orbital mechanics. And so in undergrad, you're just getting all of those courses down and you're establishing yourself as an engineer. Going through it. Right. And so I think like when we decided to go to graduate school, because we were in the graduate program around the same time, I think you were like a year ahead of me. In our program, it was very flexible on your research topic, right? And so yeah, to get to your question about how I got to this field of study, I love aerospace. I also really thought myself of going down the medical path. My father's a medical doctor and a, a public health professor. And you know, it's the human body is really fascinating. And so there was, you know, this part of me that wanted to understand humans in aerospace. You know, I was interning at NASA Marshall after my senior year of, so I already graduated undergrad. And I was looking around for research topics because I knew that I was going to enter a grad program at Mississippi State. And I had that flexibility to kind of study what I wanted because I was funded by a NASA fellowship. And so I had just honestly reached out and was just really looking into all different kinds of fields. I was looking at guidance, navigation and control, GNNC, looking at, you know, autonomous satellites, CubeSats. And then I also kind of stumbled upon the spacesuit world. And I didn't really conceptualize that people actually build the suit at NASA. When I kind of started to realize all of the skill sets you needed to understand how the human body works and functions in this one single spacecraft or vehicle, which is the spacesuit, um, I just thought it was fascinating because you, you really have to understand the human system itself. So that incorporates understanding and quantifying anthropometry to be able to design to that. I just found this world of engineering in human systems integration and humans in aerospace that kind of combined my love for all things aerospace, but also um, the human aspect. I thought it was super interesting. I, you know, reached out to one of the lead engineers on the suit. Her name is Amy Ross. And I asked her, like, you know, what what needs to be done? What are the questions you guys have that you could use a free grad student on? And honestly, so you just reached out to her, you saw somebody who was doing something you were interested in, and you just yeah. shot your, uh, you know, well, shoot your shot. I shot my shot. <laughs> shot my shot. <laughs> um, and so I just, I reached, I sent her an email, and, you know, it, I spent like probably 40 minutes just coming up with the email and it was pretty short, but, um, you know, just told them my interest and then also just mentioned that, you know, I'm a free grad student who can, you know, pursue some of these efforts and you, you don't have to like really worry about incorporating me into your, you know, payment process or anything like that. So that, I think that helped, but also just like sending that email and I was I'm so lucky that she was receptive and, and sent me a response and put me in connection with other people. Yeah, I, I, I just am really thankful because she, you know, was a female mentor in my in my life, albeit a very short amount of time. She still introduced me to like fascinating topics and real problems that needed to get done 
that also positioned me well for, you know, coming on as a full-time hire. That's pretty much, it was pretty straightforward. I just reached out to the person I saw doing something I wanted and asked them what type of problems I could solve. I think it's so interesting too that like, you know, I think we are in a world where people, at least in, in college, we were told like networking is so important. You need to talk and reach out to people and not yeah. be afraid, you know? And I think I love that story because I think it really shows how just shoot that email show if you're genuinely interested in someone's work or you're genuinely interested in that research most of the time they're 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 interested at least talking to you and then right. sometimes even cooler things will come out like projects that you are that yeah. follow you to your professional career which i think is really mm -hmm. awesome absolutely and that networking piece like i think watching you do it in, in undergrad and grad school also helped a lot um especially you know our aerospace tailgates, you know, at Mississippi yeah. State, we're such a microcosm <laughs> of professors and people yeah. in the professional industry. And I know you and I always made a point to go, but that's where I met one of my one of my lifelong female mentors, uh, Carrie Olson, Dr. Carrie mm -hmm. Olson, and she was a prior professor at Mississippi State. So you, I think you also know her pretty well as uh, too, Mary Kate. She was a prior professor at Mississippi State and then a branch chief at, at NASA Marshall at the time that I'd met her. Um, and I, I believe she's still doing, she's now doing a headquarters rotation. And she, <laughs> I met her over mimosas at a tailgate. Right. And, <laughs> and so she really, you know, saw you know, something in me and, and gave me the opportunities at Marshall. But yeah, that networking piece, going back to that, that's, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. We're going to take it back a little bit. Like, so mm -hmm. I know you mentioned that you were interested potentially being a doctor and what kind of got you to being in aerospace? What does your childhood look like? What inspired you? What like brought you into this, this space realm that we live in now? My family, like you mentioned in the intro, we are immigrants to the United States. And when I was, you know, around five, uh, we moved to from my dad was doing his PhD at University of Alabama, Birmingham. He did a postdoc in Missouri. And so we moved around a little bit. He was a PhD student and I couldn't provide for a family today on a PhD student budget. So I'm <laughs> so thankful for him to do that. But, you know, at the time we kind of didn't know anyone in this new country and it was my brother my mom and dad and uh, my brother he had this interest in astronomy and you know he's been a really big influence in my life and so he would drag our family to the planetarium all the time and as a female we're conditioned to have different interests so i loved barbies i loved i still love the color pink um but it, those interests were introduced to me because of my brother. The planetarium was something free to do for our family, and we would go quite often. It was to the Jackson, Mississippi planetarium. And, you know, I just realized that there's this whole world of aerospace and, and astronomy. And then my father was a medical doctor in Bangladesh, but then he came to the United States to get his PhD, not MD, and pursued like this field of academia and public health. And so he had this medical background that really, whether you call it brainwashing, but I thought everything <laughs> he did was absolutely fascinating. So we would learn like human bones in the body when I was like doing my addition, subtraction, math workbooks, like <laughs> at the same so time cute. in the same vein. And so, um, you know, those interests kind of grew from those influences in my life. And then once I got into high school, I joined the robotics team and I, that's when the concept of engineering was first really introduced to me. And I had this physics 
teacher in, in high school, uh, Miss Sappington, and she absolutely, you know, believed in me. And again, it was that female mentorship that really got me through to my final interest. And I, I was almost going to pursue astrophysics or something like that. I fell in love with her physics class, but then she kind of pointed me towards aerospace engineering. She's like, you know, you love this engineering stuff. You also are a space nerd. So why don't you go pursue this program at Mississippi State? I think it'll be perfect for you. That's what I did. And I'm so glad and thankful for that type of mentorship because yeah. otherwise, like, I just I don't know. <laughs> I'd probably yeah. be, you know, in the in the world of astrophysics or in the medical field right now. So. Right, right. It's wild how like our mentorships can really influence us in our, our development as like from childhood to teen, being teenagers and then like young adults and everything. So it's really that's really cool. So you think that maybe like being on the robotics team really kind of was a pivotal moment for you, right? Like in change in putting you on the trajectory of aerospace engineering, maybe. Yeah. I think it realized like the creativity behind engineering because as a female who with an older brother, like as a as a little sister, I um just innately wanted to hate everything my brother liked. Right. I wanted to do the complete opposite. Yep. And so, you know, anything that had to do with like building stuff or like right. putting Legos together, you know, like those were the concepts of engineering that I had. It wasn't really anything attainable. But on the robotics team, you know, I saw a servo controlling, it's something as simple as like a servo just controlling a wheel. And that really put context to like building, you know, it was, <laughs> it's like the electrons that move across that actually end up driving the whole system. Like right. you can control those things. And that is like in itself a, a creativity. I know for me personally, like being in the creative space is really important. And it was a yeah. huge driver to me being an engineer because I understood, I finally got to understand the connection of how being involved in like, say art in the arts, mm -hmm. like theater and stuff kind of helped mm -hmm. influence me later on in my career. Do you think, cause you know, there's a big movement of putting A into STEAM, so involving the arts into yeah. STEM. Do you find, like, do you find value in that? Like, do you think that the arts has made you a better engineer? 300% yes, include <laughs> arts in STEM. STEAM is what it should be called. I, I believe there's this, like, innate piece of engineering and, and building and creating that is art. And, and when you create something that is both art it is useful, you know, it almost becomes a magical device. And, yeah. and so I, I, I just um, got chills. <laughs> yeah. And so that's like something that I, this book, um, he's a professor out of the media lab at MIT and I've been, you know, listening to it on the audiobook. but it's, he's super motivating in, in the way he describes magical, I think, I think he calls them like magical devices or, you know, it, it's almost enchanting, enchanting is what it's called, enchanting okay. objects. Um, and so that, that concept of, of an object being enchanting, so intuitive, and there's an art element to it, a design aspect to it, a usability, a human aspect to it. When all of those things come together and you create an enchanting device, you never have to think about it. And that's when like an engineering object is really useful. He uses the clock as an example. A clock is so easy to use, right? You don't ever have to think twice about it. And they're beautiful. They're used as, you know, art pieces on your wall. And sure. so, I don't know, that's just a concept that introduces, you know, the concept of art to me. That book has really been kind of driving that idea home for me. But yeah, absolutely. I love 
to do makeup. <laughs> I we watch RuPaul's Drag Race together, yeah. and yeah. you know we love to costume. That's one of our like friendship things we like to do together. Yeah. And all of those things, you know, we love enjoy those things because we like to create and we and we like to build things and and it's like a and challenge ourselves in a creative right. space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so engineering is exactly that. It's like challenging yourself in, in a creative space but your tool sets are a little different right your tool right. sets are math your tool sets are coding your tool sets are the books that you have to reference to you know define an orbital trajectory yeah it's just a different so type cool. of creating yeah <laughs> I know like you you were also involved in like pat in the pageant scene right oh, yeah um, that part in, too. yeah well so like <laughs> You know, obviously there's a little create there's creativity in that when you know mm -hmm. and and thinking in that space. And I'm sure a lot of people don't necessarily equate engineering with pageant world, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, so tell me about your experience in pageantry, but also how that ex how you've honed that experience to assist you in your at being an engineer. I have a whole TED talk on that. <laughs> I know you do. We'll yeah. link that in the video description for sure. Yeah, um but uh the so Gosh, I, you know, was just talking to my brother about this. So as a principal investigator of my project, of the, the PI, that many of my tasks are communicating what the team is doing to management and to the general public and in, in a moment's notice all the time. And gosh, so yeah, the pageant world, just as a background, you know, I competed in Mississippi and Miss USA and, and under the Miss Universe organization. And that process was about, I would say like, took about like five years of my life from like training and competing and trying. That was throughout like my, probably my senior year of high school throughout undergrad. And the skill sets I learned there are, you know, in, in a pageant, in, in a Miss USA competition, you have your interview, you have swimsuit, evening gown, but beyond that, you are an ambassador for your state for the entire year. You're uh, traveling, going to different, you know, appearances is what they're called, and you, you give speeches. And so there's a lot of responsibility in just like speaking. Um, and so communication was a huge thing that impacted my career today. Um, as a PI, you know, like I mentioned, speaking, uh, regurgitating pretty much your entire, like, it's like giving like a one minute thesis dissertation or something in, right. in a, you know, immediately at all times. And so um, I think being able to boil down my aerospace, aerospace experiences um, during a pageant interview with the judges, those interviews, you know, we've had different formats, but there's like three minute round robin interviews where you only have three minutes to introduce yourself to a judge. And that it's a difficult task. <laughs> and yeah, so right. that really helped a lot. Uh, and then drive a lot of what I do at work today in the communication piece. I guess this, the other big thing is just the determination and perseverance that it takes um, to right. be able to train yourself to that level of, you know, almost like an athlete in a sense. And so similarly in aerospace, it's so complex. Some of the things you do, you have to have, you know, that dedication and drive to be able to train your brain and um, train yourself as an engineer. Um, and so th there's a lot of parallels there and definitely wouldn't have thought that like my pageant career would have impacted me so much today at work, but every single thing I do, I'm just like, man, I already did that once. Yeah, <laughs> and also right. like, I make a joke in the talk I mentioned, like 
if you're on national television in a bikini, like not much else scares you. I totally mean that. Like, I can imagine. Well, let me say, I can't imagine. (laughs) That sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. So it's like, what else can be that scary after that? So I know, like, obviously, in the pageant world, you have to think about how you present yourself and like your attitude, your how you dress and how you look and um, how you represent your state and how you talk, how you speak to others and answer questions. Do you feel that because of your background in pageantry and because you learn these skills in the professional world or even in internships, did you ever struggle with like sexism in the workplace because you were feminine? Because you are somebody who taught me not to be afraid of my femininity, you know? And I think that you've always held very tight to that piece of who you are Mm -hmm. and never allowed the stereotypical like male dominated industry to drive how you speak to others or how you dress. Do you, do you have like stories or like examples of like situations you've been through where you have experienced sexism in the workplace and just because of how you dress or how you acted, you know, things like things like that. There's a lot of things we could call my experiences. And I think sexism is one of them. Absolutely. I think there's also just like this, some, some more like nuanced things I've experienced that I think are just like misunderstandings or prejudgment or, you know, uh, you know, just kind of notions that like maybe I'm the secretary instead of you know the engineer (laughs) yep (laughs) so that's like that's one thing that happens often you know I always have to say like I'm so and so I do this you know at the forefront whenever I'm like at work or um you know in my past establishing like establishing your CV before like so that they understand who you are hey I'm I'm the lab manager uh like we had like an emergency situation the other day and I went downstairs and I look young also like I I'm I'm kind of like shorter in stature and, you know, my hair looks like, I look like this at work usually. Um, and so like I always do my hair and makeup because it makes me feel put together and it's just, makes and it's feel, empowering too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also just really enjoy fashion and right. love makeup. Um, if I could have another career, it would be as a makeup artist. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know, the way that you look when you're present, when you're the only one, you're, I'm usually the only woman in the room in a lot of spaces. But then on top of that, I'm usually the most glam woman in a room and probably one of the more younger people in the room as well. There's, you know, always the misconception of like, who is that person? Because she looks very different and just out of place out of all of these men in the room. So there's that constant just like, reintroduction of myself that I have to give, which is exhausting. But then there's like, in the past, you know, I've had people look over my CV before I got my dream job. And they were like, why don't you just like take this pageant stuff off? And I was like, well, I was like literally an ambassador to a state and I did so much with it. Like, I don't want to hide that part of myself, but there've been almost like a 50-50 response to that part of my life. Like, maybe you should not bring that up because it doesn't have anything to do with your technical skills. And I was like, well, you know, communicating your technical ability is a huge piece of your technical works. I'm going to keep it there. And I, I did. And, you know, I will continue to, you know, always highlight that piece of my life because it did teach me so much. It's literally who I am. It defined me. Right. With that piece, I have like, you know, just a lot of pushback. I've had pushback from like 
intern mentors in the past and man managers that have asked me to take that off my resume. I just quite frankly won't. I get the same thing with King of the Nerds. People are always like, why do you keep this reality competition on your on your resume? And I'm like, because I learned from it. I grew from this experience, you know? Yeah. And it's like everything from you, not even just the experience. It's like you learn things about production and cameras right. that right. that that in itself is a science. So like yeah. <laughs> granted like that's you know a little bit of a reach, but still like you it's beyond just like the tangible skills. For instance, I had to do a video demo like of, of our whole team and like produce a video to be able to get the funding path for my dream project. And like, oh I wouldn't have known how to produce a good video had it not been like watching a live production on international television. Right. You know, that helps with that. It's like, make sure the lighting is good. Make sure this is good. And you're, you know, doing the same with your YouTube channel, which I think I did, I, I did deviated from your question, but you know, sexism in the workplace, absolutely. You know, I've, um, had moments and instances where, you know, things have had to be elevated, which is unfortunate, but I'm also super hopeful for, you know, just the difference between our year in aerospace engineering, how there was, I think, like six women in the room of 80. And then looking at, by the time we graduated, our freshman class, I think there was like far more, it was almost like 30 Mm -hmm. to 40%. I think that gives me hope and, you know, we just have to be, you know, as, as, you know, we're on the kind of like the cusp of that change of that change and being on the cusp of that change is exhausting because you have to be the person taking a lot of, you know, the impacts and the blows, but you know, what gives me hope is the upcoming generation and having these conversations and, you know, like really pushing through that, that, I guess, gap in women in STEM and minorities in STEM and femme in STEM. So, oh, yeah. did I just come up with something? Femme in STEM. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful point. And that kind of brings up another topic is like, so I know like the past five years have been like really rough for immigrants in America. Have you had to overcome that? And I know in like, not just in the last five years, but throughout your entire entire life, right? Like going through white male dominated industry or just a white dom- male dominated world, right? So like what, yeah. how, how, like, I know that has to have been a struggle, like, and how have you overcome that? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's like two pieces of this because that's the industry I work in um, is very white male, but then there's also, growing up in Mississippi was another big piece of it because there weren't any Bangladeshi people really around me. One thing I'm going to caveat this whole conversation with is that I'm very, I guess you would say white passing. I also am, you know, I use my makeup and hair and my looks, if you will, as a way to kind of bridge that gap where, you know, when people meet me, they still think that I'm like, I look a certain way. I look, you know, very polished or put together or whatever. And I think that helps the situation always. But, you know, growing up, I didn't have hair and makeup, didn't have a title like Miss Mississippi USA and and things that would define my space in society. My earliest memories were, you know, I was in the principal's office all the time in elementary school because I didn't understand that people in South Mississippi, like I didn't understand how big Christianity was. 
And so I would tell people that my family is Hindu, like I had never been to a church or I think one of the first questions that, you know, back in the day people would ask is, what church do you go to? Yep, it's still 100%. a thing. <laughs> it's still a thing. <laughs> what church do you go to? And I was like, um, Iskan Valley Monday Temple. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't know. Is that is. <laughs> Korean well, at least you had an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was literally like a Hare Krishna temple because it's like one of the only things I could find, our family could find in Mississippi um, right. that was closer to us. Our family is Hindu Bengali, and so that like piece, the religion piece was really big because I had principles that were trying to convert me in in those right. moments where like someone would tell on me that I wasn't Christian. I would go to the principal's office because I was in trouble for not being Christian. And then they would ask, you know, the principal would ask me and like try to have like a revelation or something with me. And that was weird. And I just kind of- That's such a breach of like, that's nuts. I didn't know that piece. That's all, that's crazy. Yeah, right. And and so there was that kind of race piece. Um, But then, you know, in the workplace, I'm also very lucky that Indian people or like Desi people or South Asian people in general, I'm not Indian, I'm Bengali, but um, a lot of people can classify me as Indian because it's same area or they do. Um, And so Desi people just in the STEM world have a really good reputation. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. a lot of Indian doctors, you know, Mm -hmm. engineers. Mm -hmm. And so I do feel like I get some trust in that way that I'm just like a South Asian girl. But, you know, it's really like I think the femme piece that for me has been a struggle. There are like, I think people disconnecting with my culture and never understanding it. Um, That's just something that has always been there. And I've kind of accepted as a norm, which probably isn't healthy. And so that piece, like someone like making an Indian accent and and saying something to me, it's like, okay, dude, that's yeah, oh, played out, but it's also really racist. I've been the brunt of like all of those terrorist jokes, all of the you smell bad jokes and stuff like that. So yeah, that's just an ongoing thing that always thing. happens. And then yeah. people think it's funny and lighthearted, but it's not when it's coming from someone not of my race so right and I wonder you know I'm I'm glad like conversation has started to turn to call that kind of conversation like that kind of speech out more often do you feel like people are calling those kind of things out more are you witnessing that or is it more of like you still think that like while you see positive there's still a long long way to go for um for the industry um I think yeah like vocabulary police and just like the way are you know like having a tumultuous presidency in the last four years and you know the BLM movement has been has really driven the these conversations and defined what is and isn't okay and today in this conversation in this moment in time we have you know the Asian hate crimes that are happening across the United States. That's impacted me. Like the other night, I kind of, my family is still in South Mississippi and they're always experiencing hate. I watch it happen all the time. Like when they're on a phone call, when they, you know, they own, they have rental properties. Those exchanges are very racist. And so I 
had a nightmare the other day that um, my family was a victim of a shooting of, of, an, of an Asian discriminatory shooting. And it just, you know, it was on my heart for like a whole week. Like this is mm. totally possible. Mm. It's in South Mississippi. Mm. They're yeah. exposed to so many people in the community. Um, that's so much a reality. So that in itself was exhausting and it still is exhausting. So I don't think we are like really at a point <laughs> where we're making any changes. And I right. think now, you know, the, the the presidency has shifted, which gives me hope. But, you know, we really need to put <laughs> our legislation where where our we need we need to match now how we're policing our, our language and and, right. and we need to match that with policy. I think we've got a long way to go, especially for the black community, as well as, you know, the hate crimes that are possible because of our laissez-faire gun gun laws in this country. Right. So, sure. Yeah. I think we've got a lot of work to do, but I, I do appreciate that, you know, people get called out now. <laughs> yeah. For, for that kind of language, which is awesome. Right. It's always good to call call it out. And I think that like, you know, that's I think that's a driving force because the more you see others calling it out, the more I think others feel comfortable calling it out, too. So it's kind of like all of us helping each other out. I do agree. We definitely have a long, long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I know that was was probably like a heavy, heavier topic. That's okay. Um, (laughs) I don't like I don't like small talk. (laughs) I know. Well, so like, you know. We have known each other for like 10 years, Miss Lois. I don't want to date us. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like what is one of your fondest memories in, because like we obviously have gone through some some good, there were great times, there were awful times. Let's talk about some like positive like memories that you might have from your time in, time in that aerospace. Like what, was there any like project that you worked on that was really like, inspiring or was there a funny moment that like made you realize like I think I picked the right like right path like what what you know do you have anything like that well I'm gonna like I'm gonna let the whole community know you're my best friend and you're my (laughs) maid of honor for my wedding that's coming up like absolutely (laughs) you mean the world to me so going through aerospace with you was the best thing ever like could you imagine not having a best girlfriend doing that I no no absolutely not like no one else (laughs) no having you in my life during that time was so important for my personal growth and development and like just having you to lean on who understood what I was going through too like it was so important and it everything you know at the time I, I know people that go through med school who have very like similar bonds, but I think mm-hmm. aerospace engineering was a little bit less competitive than med school. And it's just like okay. everyone getting together, trying to solve these hard problems that there is no check for. Like you can't right. go online. <laughs> yeah, you can't Google, Google that. No, <laughs> and you can't like, we have like Brune, that aerospace flight mechanics book, or was it the structures book? I can't remember it's what, right what there. it's called. It's right there, it's my bookshelf. Yeah. Flight mechanics and structures, I think. And that book yeah. is like worth like $1,300. <laughs> um, but that, that, it has like, um, you know, all these problem st- sets that no answer solution to. And it's just like, our professor's <laughs> like, go figure it out. So, you know, we have that just awesome group of friends, our aero buddies, and yeah. we're we're all still so close and you know whenever I realized how 
everyone in that group, how much everyone meant to me. And, you know, I, you know, I reflected on it probably while I was doing Miss USA. I was away from you all a lot. And I, one of the thing that I missed the most was the Arab Buddies. And so, mm-hmm. like, just, you know, those moments where I would, like, reflect and think about how awesome our friend group was. You know, we did the aerospace senior cruise, which was really fun. That was a big, huge memory that I have. I think one of my favorite memories, though, with you specifically is when we yeah. lived together at Darby. <laughs> yeah, old and Darby. Our cute little house next to a cow farm. <laughs> yeah. um, I loved that house so much, but it was the summer where my mom came over right before Miss USA. So Miss USA was in June, I believe, and you were going to King of the Nerds. Yep, to film for that. To film for that. And so that was the same exact summer. And my mom came in and she was like, it's just something about this house. (laughs) It's just just a lucky about this house. Yeah. I just think about that, like that, that moment when she said that, I was like, wow, like Kate's doing this. I'm doing this. We're aerospace girls. Like it was just such a moment of like, wow, we worked so hard <laughs> and we yeah. still are working our asses off to, to do all of this. And right. so that was just that whole experience with you, you know, was awesome. And I think is what makes right. us like so close today. So. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think like, you know, a lot of people thought in college that you and I put too many eggs in our basket, right? Like, I think a lot of people, like, I know Mr. Hannigan specifically was like, Mary-Kate, you put too many eggs in your basket. And I just, you know, I was reflecting on that recently. And I realized that, you know, yeah, we might have put too many eggs in one basket. But, you know, we we learned how to juggle that. We learned how to distribute the weight. We learned, you know, yeah, we had our missteps here and there. But and yep. we had our struggles <laughs> along the way. But I think, though, it, in the end of the day, it really kind of made us better engineers because we exper- we had those experiences in missteps. We had our experiences in failures because uh, if, you, if you had it easy breezy through college, the real life isn't like that. You yeah. know, you got, you're going to be you're going to be met with really hard problems, really challenging things that you have to think outside the box and you can't let a failure completely stop what you're doing or what you're working yeah. for. You know, so I think, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I think it was no. so important. I, well, um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think like putting your eggs in my piano teacher would also tell me that all the time in high school, like you just do too many things. And I think like as women, like we, we innately want to do that, you know, maybe that's not, that's maybe a, too much of a general statement, but I feel like the pressure to have to do a lot of things, I think, you know, just for instance, like our AIAA chapter, I think we both were presidents of that. And every year it was a woman from aerospace, but I feel like we felt the responsibility of like, you know, there's these intangible things like the emotional maturity of rallying a room together and getting everyone's food for a meeting or something like that. It was those little bitty details that we feel like is our responsibility as the only woman in the room or something like that. Like we're just doing too many things and trying to, you know, be the bomb or something like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. It's like it, we ha- we always feel like we have to over, we have to over exceed just to be like considered average, if that makes sense. Like we, there's no such thing as middle of the road. We have to be like 
we have to be the the best at what we do we feel like we have to be out there shining to even to feel like we're good enough right and yeah. it's so messed up it's such a messed up mentality yeah. that's what we're here we're here I've been to trying bust to, that mentality. yeah reel back that kind of stuff at work like I don't volunteer mm-hmm. for like extra stuff I'm just like I gotta get this project done and so right, I think I've right. learned a little bit but um, yeah. definitely it's just a personality trait of ours so we're gonna wrap it on up here um is there anything yeah. like you want to plug or is like where can people find out more about you and your work or you know is there like any socials you want to plug yeah so I use Instagram a lot on that Instagram today it will be very like bridal we've got a wedding coming up this year <laughs> yes. um, I'm also as you know we're moving back on site due to COVID um, I plan to use it for more work related things and outreach related things thank you Kate for the opportunity because this is definitely like my first delve into the STEM communication platforms and I'm so proud of you for for holding this YouTube channel and for for doing all that you're doing for the STEM community. So my Instagram handle is uh, paramita underscore mitra. We'll tag it I imagine (laughs) below. That's usually where I'm um, where I'm communicating a lot. Awesome. Well, Paramita, thanks so much for joining me on my very first Delta V podcast. I am so excited to, to, to delve into this world with you and hear and share your story um, throughout your prof- your uh, college career and your professional career in life. And please stay tuned later for more um, for more content from Delta V channel. And we will have our Patreon up and running. Um, so go and take a check out and at that. We'll have all of our socials down below. Um, so if you like this, hit subscribe, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Cool.